Yes, thank you, Grant. I'd like to open up your Bibles to the book of Numbers in chapter 35. had a bit of a chesty sort of thing for a while, it seems to be getting better, but if I hopefully will make the distance here. To compound the problem though, this morning I took the wrong medication, so. <laughs> but the good news about that is that I'm now protected against heartworm and fleas for the next three months. <laughs> Numbers chapter 35, verse 9. This is a part of the law that was uh, to be given here. And the Lord is talking to Moses uh, as they were uh, about to enter into the land of Canaan. And the Lord's establishing things. Uh, Numbers 35 verse 9. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When you become over Jordan into the land of Canaan, then shall you appoint you cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the slayer may flee thither, which kills any person at unawares. And they shall be unto you cities for refuge from the avenger, that the manslayer die not, until he stand before the congregation in judgment. And of these cities which you shall give, uh, six cities shall you have for refuge. And you shall give three cities on this side of the Jordan, and three cities shall you give in, in the land of Canaan, which shall be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be a refuge, both for the children of Israel and for the stranger and for the sojourner or the traveller among them, that everyone that killeth any person unawares may flee thither. So we see the Lord is making here the beginning of a judicial system, of a system of law and protection and uh, an assumption of innocence until proven guilty and so on that these things are being established now for the children of Israel as they are about to enter into their promised land. And particularly here, we see provision was made for an incident that may result in the accidental death or or perhaps in self-defense death of a person. It says there that kills any person at unawares in verse 11. Unawares, in, according to the Strong's concordance, means, uh, or one of the words, uh, uh, definitions of it was, an inadvertent transgression. So it wasn't intentional. There was uh, an incident that happened that resulted in uh, the death of a person. Now, at that time, the law had been given, and the law specifically said, an eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth, a life for a life. And there was provision in that law that if somebody killed a close relative of yours, you were entitled to go after that person and kill them. A life for a life. And that person who did that was known as the avenger of blood. That he was avenging the one who had been uh, uh, killed uh, in whatever manner up until then. But the Lord now made provision here that there would be the facility made to flee and to find a place of safety until this could be sorted out properly. And so that's what uh, was uh, uh, spoken of here. A provision that enabled a person to flee to a place that was appointed by God and find some sanctuary, some refuge there. And the alternative to that, of course, was to 
to face the avenger who could lawfully take out retribution upon you and, and kill you. And we can imagine if you were in that position, suddenly everything in your life would change. You had an urgent flight, an urgency where I've got to get out of here. I've got to find my way to a particular city, a God-appointed place, so I might live. I might find safety. I might find sanctuary uh, at that time. And, of course, when he made it to that city, as we see uh, uh, later on, it talks about uh, 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 that he would be judged at that time there. And uh, if it was decided as he faced trial uh, within the city of refuge there, if he was a murderer then he would be turned over to the avenger of blood, if it was indeed murder. If, however, the uh, 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 death was deemed to be accidental or in self-defense, then there was provision made where he was to stay in that city and he would be safe from the avenger of blood. And uh, uh, we read about that perhaps down in verse 24. And the congregation shall judge between the slayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. And the congregation shall deliver the slayer, this is if he's found to be not guilty of murder, out of the hand of the revenger of blood. And the congregation shall restore him to the city of his refuge, not to his, his home where he came from in the first place, but to the city of refuge where he was dwelling now, uh, whither he was fled. And he shall abide in it unto the death of the high priest, which was anointed with the holy oil. But if the slayer shall at any time come without the border of the city of his refuge, whither he was fled, and the revenger of blood shall find him outside of the borders of the city of his refuge, and the uh, revenger of blood shall kill the slayer, he shall be not guilty of blood, because he had because he should have remained in the city of his refuge unto the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the slayer shall return into the land of his possession. Now, this, of course, was not a light situation. This was not something to be taken lightly. This was an offender who, who had to, in some way, had to take his life and reestablish it now in a completely alien environment. He may not have known any person in the city of refuge there. And he had to live there. He had to abide there, I think it talks there, uh, about uh, living in every aspect of his life until an appointed time, until the high priest should pass away. And uh, uh, it always strikes me there that uh, uh, in the city of refuge, you'd have all these people hoping the high priest died fairly soon. Uh, it's uh, thinking ill for you or something, I don't know. But, but suddenly we, we see why, why all of a sudden is the high priest involved in all of this? Well, maybe there's a number of things we can glean from that. Uh, maybe we should be aware that this whole situation was indeed a matter that involved God and godly principles, godly laws. Thou shalt not kill. It was a God-given law, part of the, the commandments that were given and so on. And this remedy for accidental death was a God-given remedy in a God-appointed place. For a God-ordained time frame. The whole thing was established by God. It wasn't made by man. It wasn't the, the, the ideas and the teachings of men here. But it was a, God was behind all of this. Maybe with the, the end, of, well, the, the end of the life of the high priest, it was also the end of a, a, a signifi signifying perhaps an, the end of a, a spiritual era and a new beginning for a person and so on there. 
Maybe it's just a reminder to us that the remedy for the taking of a life was going to be the life of another. In this case, it was going to be through the natural causes of a priest and so on. Now, this was set three, three and a half thousand years ago. And yet it was the beginning of a judicial system and a, a system of asylum that uh, people would be able to flee for refuge and find somewhere safe to plead their cause. And uh, there were various uh, instances in the scriptures where uh, that uh, actually happened. We think of a time when Joab uh, uh, clung to the horns of the altar and so on, and uh, he was safe while he did so. Uh, and uh, there were other, there's another guy called Shimei who was in, under house arrest uh, at the time he'd uh, made life difficult for David and so on. And uh, he found sanctuary there in, a, in his own home sort of thing. Now we go on to read there. We read there, verse 28 there. And, and so the warning, you know, I just want to get to that warning there. The warning was you must stay within the city of your refuge. If you don't, there's an avenger of blood out there. It's not safe outside of the place where you fled for your refuge. Now we'll go to uh, Isaiah chapter 28. Isaiah 28. Now, Isaiah lived around about 700 BC, 720, 740 BC. He's writing all of this. And it was a time when Israel had really gone off the rails and judgment was coming upon them. He actually prophesied uh, uh, in chapter 19 of, uh, uh, and uh, various other parts there of the Babylonians coming against him and, uh, and what would happen to them and so on. And so there were all sorts of issues that were going on within Israel at this time. And judgment was coming and they made light of it. Israel didn't listen, even though they had warning after warning after warning from prophet after prophet after prophet, they wouldn't listen to the word of God. And uh, uh, we see what, well, we'll perhaps uh, pick up the story in verse 14. This is what the Lord had to say to Israel as a result of this. Wherefore, hear the word of the Lord, ye scornful men that rule this people which is in Jerusalem, because you have said, We have made a covenant or an agreement with death and with hell or the grave are we at agreement. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come nigh unto us or come unto us. For we have made lies our refuge and under falsehood we have hid ourselves. And so uh, we see that people here were looking for refuge. They were looking for an answer, looking for a place of security and safety, but they were looking in the wrong place. They were looking in lies, in falsehoods. And they made that saying there, we've made a covenant with death. You know, people say the same thing today. When I'm dead, I'm dead, that's it. I want, we don't have to worry about judgment. We don't have to worry about standing before a throne. We don't have to worry about any books being opened up, as we read in the scriptures and so on there. There's no accountability, no standing before God, because there is no God in their thinking, their ideas there. Scripture says they've made lies their refuge and they've hid themselves under falsehoods. And that's the world in which we live today. It's interesting to note uh, uh, just a few verses before this there is a wonderful prophecy about speaking in other tongues in verse 12, uh, how that uh, uh, it would be the rest that would cause the weary to rest and so on and a refreshing. But the world says, yet they would not hear. They won't hear. Their refuge is a lie and a falsehood. And then we go on to read 
about a wonderful prophecy of Jesus Christ, of the rock. In verse uh, 16 there, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, and he that believeth shall not make haste or be ashamed. And then it goes on to talk about judgment and so on there. And this is a wonderful prophecy. This is, again, this verse is recounted for us in the New Testament there as referring to Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone, the tried foundation, the rock on which our salvation can be established there, the Messiah, the only one who can be a true refuge, a true hiding place. And when judgment comes, and it will then we have to be aware that either our our refuge will be in a lie or it will be in Christ. There is no middle ground. We'll go uh, back to the book of Psalms. Psalm chapter 9. Psalm 9. Psalm 9. Psalm 9. And verse 9. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. And they that uh, know thy name will put their trust in thee, for thou, Lord, has not forsaken them that seek thee. This is a wonderful promise here. In fact, there's, I think, about 15 or 16 or 17 references in the book of Psalms alone to God being a refuge of being a place of safety and security. The Bible talks elsewhere, I think in the book of Job, it talks about the poor of the earth that embrace the rock for a want of shelter. They embrace the rock. The rock, of course, is Jesus Christ now. And we embrace that rock because we want shelter. We want refuge. We want a place of security, a place of comfort in a cold, hard-hearted world, a place of safety in a world that's deadly. Where, uh, where anything goes, we want somewhere that is above the storms uh, and the, the despair and uh, the distress of the world. Now, there's likenesses, I believe, in the story of the, the cities of refuge to our situation in Christ. We live in a dangerous world. And the Bible says of you and I that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All are under sentence of death. We've every one of us in our natural state, got the avenger of blood hot in our tails. And we've been called now to make up our mind what we're going to do about that. And we, the church, has fled for refuge. The Bible talks about our adversary, the the avenger of blood in our time, the devil. And it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. He's hot on us. And chasing after us there. It's a jungle out there. And, uh, uh, well, uh, uh, hallelujah, we can find safety and refuge there. Even though we were guilty and condemned, we need a, a place of safety and refuge. We'll go to the book of Hebrews and, and just see how that all sort of ties in there. Hebrews 6. Hebrews chapter 6. <clears throat>
Hebrews chapter 6, Mark was saying in his testimony there about finding refuge, really, in his, uh, uh, when he came to the Lord. And I think he said it was uh, indispensable, this indispensable part of his life now, to be in Christ. And so it is. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18. That by two immutable or unchangeable things, that's the word of God and the promise of God, in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope that is set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. We have fled. We've, we've desperately run away from the avenger and found place of safety and refuge. We've run for our lives to Christ, the high place, the rock. And what was it we were looking for? Well, the Bible says what we were looking for, the, for strong consolation, for hope, it talks about there, for an anchor for our soul that would be sure and steadfast so that we might enter within the veil into the presence of God into the the safety and the sanctuary of God. Not to be separated from God anymore, but to be, as it were, face to face with him. But we've got to remember, it's a God-given way. In the time of the cities of refuge, if you decided you needed refuge and you ran off to another city, you you picked one of the ones that wasn't the right one, it wouldn't have had any effect. The guy could still get you. No matter how you you can say, oh, I'm in the city. Wrong city. You had to be in the right city. It had to be done as God had specified. And so it is today that mankind, all of mankind, is, I believe, is seeking a city. They're seeking a place of refuge, but they're looking in all the wrong places, all the natural places. Maybe it's a natural city. Maybe they they think if they flee for refuge to Rome, they'll find it there. Or Mecca. Or, or some other place, maybe getting back to the earth or within themselves or somewhere like that, they might find uh, uh, refuge there. But of course, uh, uh, it's a spiritual problem. It's not a natural one. And it needs a spiritual place of refuge. We need to get back to not, not Rome or Mecca or anywhere like that or our inner selves, but we need to get to Christ. The Bible says, uh, quoting from Romans chapter 8, verse 1, There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Not that know about Christ Jesus, that have heard of Christ Jesus, but they're in him. They're abiding in him. They're living in that city. And he's not far away. Hallelujah. The six cities that were spoken of there, if you look at a map of Israel at that time, they were actually what they were called uh, Levitical cities. The, uh, the, when the children of Israel entered into the promised land, the, the, the nation was divided up according to the tribes. And uh, uh, so the cities in a particular area belonged to that tribe and were run by that tribe. They, they were part of that tribe uh, of, uh, of uh, uh, Israel uh, and, and the administration and so on there. But they were Levitical cities. They were priestly cities that were not part of the particular location tribe, as it were. And uh, the cities of refuge were all priestly cities. They were run by the Levites. The priests lived there and their families and so on. And uh, there was one, if you look at a map, there was one close to every part of Israel. They were specifically located there so that they wouldn't be far away. 
if anybody had need to flee there. And as time went on, they were uh, people decided that they needed to make good roads to get to those places. So they maintained the roads. They even put signposts up, refuge that way, so that if you were in a hurry, you could just hottail it out of there and go down that way and, uh, and find a place of refuge. So the individual could make that trip as, as easily and as quickly as possible. We read about Jesus Christ. The Lord is nigh or near unto all them that call upon him and to that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him. He will also hear them, hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserves them that love him. He's a place of refuge. So in Christ, we can see, I believe, a fulfillment of those cities there. And just to summarize that, perhaps uh, the cities were within easy reach of everybody who had need. And so is Christ within easy reach of every person. They were open to all. We read there the sojourner as well, not just the Israelites. So it is today. It's not just a specific group of people, but all can be saved and placed in the kingdom of Christ. And no one was ever able to be turned away. Everybody was entitled to find refuge there until the situation was sorted out. And so it is in Christ. No one is turned away. Christ won't have that. He, he, come unto me, he said. And, uh, and that's the calling there. And, uh, uh, well, uh, it was a, a, a permanent place, if you like, or semi-permanent place to live. They, they didn't just go in there, look around and think, oh, I don't like it here. I might sort of go somewhere else. In Christ, we don't do that. We don't just have a quick look and then go and wander off somewhere else into another place or, or whatever. But, of course, there's a crucial difference in all of this. The cities of refuge were really for, only for those that were innocent. The Bible says of you and I and every single person, we were all guilty yet we still could find refuge. Now we'll go back to the book of Joshua, chapter 20. Joshua 20. And have a look at the specific cities that were mentioned there. This, this Now we're caught up with the children of Israel. Now they have entered into their promised land. And now this is Joshua now. Moses had passed away. Joshua had taken over as ordained by God. And uh, we see that the Lord now is going over this situation again with the cities of refuge there. And he particularly names the cities. Verse 1, chapter, Joshua chapter 20, verse 1. And the Lord also spake unto Joshua, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, Appoint out of you cities of refuge, whereof I spoke to you by the hand of Moses, as we read before in Numbers 35 that the slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee thither. And they shall be for your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he that doth flee unto one of those cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of that city and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elder of that city, they shall take him into the city, uh, into the city unto them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand, because he smoke his neighbor unwittingly, and hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in that city, and, and until he stand before the uh, congregation for judgment, and until the death of the high priest uh, uh, that shall be in those days. 
Then shall the slayer return and come to his own city, and unto his own house, and unto the city from whence he fled. And they appointed these six cities, Kadesh in Galilee, uh, in Mount Naphtali, and Shechem in Mount Ephraim, and Kerjatha Arba, uh, which is uh, Hebron, in the uh, mountain of Judah. And on the other side of Jordan, uh, by Jericho eastward, they assigned the city of Beza in the wilderness, uh, upon the plain of the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead, out of the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan, out of the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel, and for the stranger that sojourned among them, that whosoever kills any person at unawares might flee thither and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. Now, it's interesting, I found interesting, if you look at those cities, and we'll just have a quick look at what their names mean, and see how we can see Christ in them. Six cities that were chosen 1,500 years before Christ arrived on the scene that provide a summary of what it is to find refuge in Christ. The first city that's mentioned there is Kadesh. And that name means a holy place, a sacred place, a place of righteousness, and particularly a place of sanctuary, a place of refuge. It literally means that. And the Bible says of Christ that he was holy. In fact, we read in 2 Corinthians 5, for he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ was made sin for us, the righteous one, being made into sin. He was made sin, not just made a sinner, he was made sin so that we could be Kadesh. We could become a holy place, a sanctified place, a separate place, a place with righteousness in in our lives now, not of ourselves, but of Christ. The second city that we read about there was Shechem. It actually means a shoulder or a place of burdens. And we think about the saying we have, he, he put his shoulder to the wheel. It's a, it's a place where uh, 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 the, the, the effort is put in and, uh, uh, well, uh, the shoulder is often a place, a, a burden placed upon the shoulders. We read in First Peter chapter 5, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. You can cast your burden upon his shoulder because he cares for you. In fact, that verse in First Peter, if we read it in the Amplified, it says, Casting the whole of your care and then it says in brackets or parentheses to be technical uh, all of your anxieties all of your worries all of your concerns once and for all on him for he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully he cares about you he bears your burdens and cares he cares about your life he cares when, when you struggle with situations in life within your family or within your job or in your finances or within your health or or whatever it is. He cares about all of that. He's borne all that on his shoulder. It's a place of a burden carried on. And we think about, uh, I was thinking about the the, the parable that he spoke there of, of the lost sheep and how that he went looking for that one sheep that was lost. And it doesn't say he came back carrying him. It says he came back with that sheep on his shoulder, bearing him. And, uh, and carrying him in such manner. 
the uh, uh, third city that was mentioned there was Hebron. And that means an alliance, particularly, or friendship or fellowship. And that's the place we come into in Christ. An alliance with Christ. And a place of friendship. It's an astonishing thing that Jesus Christ was not ashamed to call us brothers and friends. In the book of uh, John, we read, Greater love had no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. In the book of Proverbs, we read about a friend who's closer than a brother. And that friend said of us, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never let you go. Not even to the end of the world in the last part of the book of uh, the Gospel of Matthew there. This is talking about Jesus here, making that promise. The one, the scriptures say, that by him are all things. For him are all things. Earth is his footstool. And he says of you that have entered into the city of refuge through the Holy Spirit, you're my friend. You're a brother, sister to me. It's astonishing, the place we're in now. The fourth city that we read about there was Beza, which seems to have two different uh, uh, meanings to the name there. It depends on, uh, uh, I think, how it was spelt originally or something. I'm not quite sure uh, how all that worked. But both of them are appropriate, so I thought I'd say both of them. The first one is a fortress or a tower or a strength or a defence. And so that's the place of our refuge, a fortress. We read there of a sure foundation, a sure rock that is Christ. And we read, uh, we know the story there of the, uh, the parable that Jesus spoke in Matthew 7 about the, the house that was founded upon a rock. And even when everything came against it, it fell not because it was founded upon a rock. Christ is a sure foundation. As we heard testified, indispensable. We can't live without that foundation in our life. Uh, and if our building is upon that foundation, then we can be Beza, a fortress a high place, a tower, a strength, not daunted by the, the world and all it may throw against us there, but rather, as the Scripture says, be steadfast, unmovable, unshakable, because we're founded upon a rock. Hallelujah. The other uh, meaning of uh, the word Beza is gold, uh, particularly gold ore, not gold ore something, but gold ore, O-R-E, uh, the, the, the stuff they mine uh, to produce gold eventually when they refine it and so on there. And so it's something precious, something of great value, something that, that we can't put a value upon. And we think about, again, Christ and the salvation he came to bring us. First Peter uh, we read, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed or bought back with corruptible things such as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but this is how we were bought, but with the precious blood of Christ. It's precious. The life of Jesus Christ was precious. The blood of Jesus Christ was precious as of a lamb without spot and without blemish. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious. So Christ is precious like gold, and he's made us to be like gold. He's made us to be 
precious in his sight. Yes, we've got a, an earthen vessel, but inside there's a treasure, a glory. The fifth city there was Ramoth, which was a high place or an exalted place, or it could mean of high value. And we think of Jesus Christ there, of course, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We sing a hymn. The head that was once crowned with thorns is crowned with glory now. Christ is lifted up now into a high place, an exalted place, because of the great value that God placed upon him. Man killed him, but God raised him up. God raised him from the dead. And in Christ now, if you're spirit-filled, if by one spirit you've been baptized into the one body of Christ, then you've been made to sit in heavenly places, high places, exalted places. And the Lord puts on you a great value a great worth, sometimes greater than we can ever imagine. In fact, mostly greater than we could ever imagine. The last city there was joyous, uh, was Golan, which means joyous, or to be carried away with joy. We might go to uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians 4. So now... We are, as the scripture says, seated in heavenly places. But the Bible says there will come a time when we will be carried away with joy. We may get joyful times in this life, but there will come a time when it will be an eternal thing. When this era ends, when this time, this system is uh, is done away with, then the Bible says that the church of Christ is going to be carried away literally it says in verse 17 we read in fact verse 16 for the lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the did i say chapter 4 chapter 4 for the lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of god and the dead in christ shall rise first then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds uh, uh, to meet the lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the lord you know sometimes when you get big excited about things uh, people say oh don't get carried away <laughs> Why not? Get carried away. If you're excited about something, get carried away. Why not? Why not practice? You're going to be one day. Get used to it. It's exciting, isn't it, really? Hallelujah. So shall we ever be with the Lord. So shall we ever be with the Lord. In a place, the Bible says, a real place too, not not just some figment of an imagination or some religious idea, but a real place where there's no more death, no more sickness, no more sadness, no more heartbreak, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more loneliness. The former things are passed away, the scripture says. Instead, a place of glory and majesty. We're going to get carried away into the heavenly realm. It's the promise of God. If we stay in the city, we must stay in Christ. We must stay within the walls of our salvation and the gospel of Jesus Christ. The high priest is looking a bit wobbly on his feet at the moment. 
Let's make sure that we don't wander off before that time comes. Scripture says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. We've been born again. Mark said he didn't particularly like that phrase. As he found out, bad luck. As it turns out, it's the way that God wants it to be, a brand new start, a born-again experience. We've been begotten again unto unto a lively or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and that fadeth not away. That's our future. And then it says, reserved in heaven for you. That's our future. Hallelujah. And we're going to be carried away into that place. All the people said, Amen. Amen.